For so many people, Sex in the City is a model for the ideal New York City life and dream. You get to sit with your friends on Fifth Avenue, drinking Cosmos and living out your main character life. But what they don't show is the hard work and perseverance that living in New York City really is. Join me, Caven Hendren, as I set out to cultivate a community of people from various industries, from the performing arts world, to the modeling world, even the real estate and finance world, to talk about what it's actually like living in the concrete jungle. Along the way, we'll have thought-provoking conversation, share advice to each other, share advice to you, and don't worry, we'll drink a few Cosmos along the way. This is The Bradshaw Effect. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Bradshaw Effect All-Stars. And you guys, I am so excited for today's conversation and episode because this is a true New York moment, I feel like, for how me and this individual met. Um, We met at the Drama Bookshop just because I recognized them from their book that they came out with um, a a couple years ago now, I think, and how much they were such a big influence on me and my writing journey and just seeing someone that is on the career path that I want to be on. Um, So I introduced myself and we got to talking and here we are now after several months of knowing each other and it's the one and the only Andrew Norland. How are you, Andrew? I'm good. How are you? Oh my gosh, it's 10 in the morning and I'm going to cry. Thank you for that intro. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I literally was talking about you a couple of days ago with somebody because, you know, it's one of those things where you see people on Instagram that pop up on your suggested and that was kind of how it happened with you one day. And I don't know if I told you this whenever we met, but um, I, that was right when you were, I think in the process of coming out with when the lights are bright again, and I just saw everything you were doing. And it was a time when I didn't know what I needed to be doing, or I, I knew what I needed to be doing in my heart, but like, I didn't know how to set that path up for myself and being able to look at right you who was doing it and say no that that is the path I'm supposed to be on let me trust myself trust my instincts um that I feel and and go for it and you know it's just one of those things you get to meet people that inspire you and uh it's it's just been really great to get to know you and have you on the podcast now well thank you for having me I just think at the end of the day like the desire in all of us, right, is to have impact, whatever that means for you at whatever season you're going through as an artist, whatever you do in the arts, right, as a creative in general. And it's just, it's so fulfilling to know. It's it's almost like, it's almost like you saying that healed the part of my insecurities from that season of my life, if that makes sense. There's like uh. something about when we meet someone right later that tells us oh when this was happening and the the book came out of a creation of a moment in my life that we were going through with the global pandemic but came out of a moment of me being very very overwhelmed so like it was that feeling of like I'm screaming into the void yeah and to know sort of now later that it was moving people and impacting them and helping someone that's at the end of the day that's why I do what I do is to help people absolutely and you're just such an easy person to talk to as well so being able to just introduce myself like we did at the drama bookshop at those little tables over over whatever work we were working on that day and just we got into such good conversation and so many of our passions were aligning in our conversation that we were kind of on a very similar journey in a lot of ways and it was just, I don't know, it felt like the right time in the right place 
to be like meeting you and then for at least for me and, and then having you in my life now at this season of whenever I think I've needed a little bit of the inspiration and you know TLC from our friendship to kind of give me that boost in the yeah. direction I need to go so let's dive into this episode and talk about you know you and your journey here to New York and all of the incredible things that you're working on so let's start with your journey to New York what was what was that like for you I know that that's a loaded thing but (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I guess the short answer to that is I have been in love with New York and the idea of New York for as long as I can possibly remember when I was getting ready and setting up my setup here in my in my apartment this morning for this interview, I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, what was something that like you continued to watch that sort of made you fall in love? And the first thing that came to mind is Made in Manhattan with J-Lo. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was just something, there was something about that. There was something about that film that always made me just love Central Park and just like the romanticism of of Manhattan that and uh stepmom I grew up watching stepmom with um Susan Sarandon and uh Julia Roberts constantly and that was always playing in our house my grandma played that when all of us cousins would go over to her house it was the best so anyways there's there's always been a deep affinity in my heart and my spirit and my soul for New York when I was little I tried every sport under the sun and nothing ever clicked and then one summer uh dear friend of my mom's uh, encouraged her to take me to a summer camp. It was a production of Little Rascals. I was playing alfalfa by the end of that week. <laughs> I had fallen head over heels in love and uh, mom of one of the other kids in the camp with me, um, Catherine Zeman, who's one of my best friends to this day, uh, reached out to my parents and was like, your son should come audition for uh, the show we're doing at this local children's theater. Cut to my senior year of high school. And by the time I graduated, that happened when I was like eight or nine. By the time I graduated high school, I had done 36 productions with this children's theater. And it was truly like, it was the space for me to explore and unpack and discover and be messy and sort of just experiment internally, externally with this like closeted queer self that I was in a space and time of my life where I wasn't able to openly explore that, right? So that was a really beautiful thing. I had always been doing theater, like I was just saying. And then I think it was probably eighth grade or freshman year of high school. I was like, I want, I want to do this as, as a career. From that point on, it was just, I, I always, um, I always tell this story. So if people are listening to other things, they're going to be like, oh my God, so redundant, but it's, it's true. So I, I was at, um, I know it's a cliche, but it's because it's so good. I was at uh, the opening night of the Broadway Cross America national tour of Wicked (laughs) with, uh, they were doing a short three-month stint. It was Shoshana Bean and Megan Hilty because they're both from the Pacific Northwest. And Uh, Shoshana is from, I know, Shoshana's from Beaverton, Oregon. And uh, I was there on the Tuesday, so their first show. And just being in that room with all of her family and friends was just like the most electric feeling. And when she came out for curtain call, she was just, she was so beautiful and humble and just like, just in her body. And I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And there was just something where it no longer felt like a disconnect. I was older. I had fallen in love with theater more from doing children's theater, right? So then I started just sort of looking at the playbills, going to the stage door after every show I would do. For Christmas, I always got the Broadway Across America from my parents as a gift. It was super cool. 
and always looked forward to going to shows. And I just started like circling what colleges people were going to. And I was like tracking like what things were reoccurring. I auditioned at LA Unifieds uh, in my senior year of high school and uh, for eight, nine schools and got into four. And then I had, I had whittled it down to going to Pace here in New York or going to Boston Conservatory. I chose Boston Conservatory because I just needed sort of a starter city. I think if I would have, I know my personality and I think if I would have come <laughs> to New York that fast, I would have been extremely distracted. Boston was already overstimulating enough for this like small town boy from Oregon. <laughs> that was really needed. And uh, I don't, yeah. I, I have, I have no regrets of that decision. I mean, I, I will be paying off those student loans till the day I die at this point, it feels like, uh, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I went to I went to college uh, for musical theater and uh, graduated in 2016. Moved to the city and uh, started auditioning. Did a regional premiere. Went on a cruise ship. And uh, ever since then, like New York has just been. I mean, I think this is probably like a also a cliche answer, but New York has been a love hate relationship for as long as I've been here. I've been here for it's either seven or eight years this fall, mm -hmm. and. That's just wild to to think about. I I have at the beginning of my New York time, I was it was very transient, like like it is for a lot of performers. I was yeah. very blessed and very lucky to jump from job to job for a little while there, and that was a beautiful thing. But it is also a very confronting thing to. I think COVID has taught a lot of us that our stability and the longevity inside of um, that consistency that we crave. Mm -hmm. is so foreign to us as performers and as artists and feeling like I was starting at ground zero every single time I was coming back to the city was overwhelming and it was very very daunting and I think it honestly continued to make me work harder to try to book a job to just leave the city because I wasn't allowing myself to to stay here it was actually my best friend Mimi Scardula um who finally like said to me one time she was like she was like, what if you just like kept auditioning and said no to a few things and just like stayed here? She's like, you have not given yourself time to fall in love with the city yet. And you're like upset with the city and you, you're trying to like run away from it. And it was like, it's, it's those moments, yeah. you know, where you're, where your friends and the people that really see you in certain moments of your life where you don't see yourself can sort of stand in that void and, and show up for you. So that was a, that was a beautiful, beautifully hard thing to hear, but yeah. And here we are. Sometimes those beautifully hard things to hear are the things that we, you know, we need to, that to help us, at least for me, I exactly. find myself needing those things in times whenever I need a mental shift to, to something better or to remind myself right. of why I'm doing something. You hit on a little bit of uh, the highlights. Why don't you kind of go into, you know, your, some of your credits that you got to do? Um, how is it? Because I know that you traveled for a lot of them. So how, for people that are listening how did that come out to be that came to be because I very long story short I dabbled in our drag show that is a like yearly an annual like revered event at Boston Conservatory at my college and I dabbled in that just honestly at the beginning sort of as a joke if I'm being honest and I fell in love with it I have mm -hmm. never felt more empowered I have never felt more myself on stage it was bizarre and I mean, this is an entirely different podcast, but it was it was coming to terms with my own like internalized homophobia. It was coming to terms with unpacking my own sexual abuse from when I was younger and trauma and like everything. And it was so bizarre yeah. that that was all wrapped up in this like ferocity and this moment of 
great expression and also release. It, 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 I, it is so hard to put into words. Cut to that was my sophomore year. Then I ran the drag show with my friend AJ Parker, who I went to school with our junior year, which was a blast. And then did it again our senior year. And uh, it's a fundraiser for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. And it's like a thing the whole school just looks forward to every year. It's super fun. And then my senior year, I had an audition for um, a regional uh, premiere at a Gonquit Playhouse of uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which if, mm -hmm. if anyone listening doesn't know the show, it is a show centered around drag culture um, in, in, in a sense, telling many other storylines as well. And I had this audition. It went really, really well. I just, it was that moment of feeling like a total alignment inside of my body, right? in this room and then I booked it and I that was at the end right before I graduated and then I had all of the summer to sort of look forward to doing this job and this contract at the end of the summer into the fall then I went and did that and then I moved to the city end of September and uh then it just sort of the Priscilla and drag train just kept on a going and uh I auditioned for I auditioned for a cruise ship uh, for for Norwegian Cruise Line for Priscilla there, uh, booked that, went and did the cruise ship for uh, nearly nine months, counting the rehearsals, traveled the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. It was absolutely unbelievable. We were in doing the same out of Barcelona, the same itinerary every week for 27 weeks. It was, it was unreal. I wow. so desperately want to go back to all those places that I went and experienced the nightlife of all the, all of them. Because, you know, when you work on a cruise ship, you get back on the ship and you are not on land at night past 5 p.m. for like however long your ship your contract is so that was really um challenging but i i met the most amazing people all of these amazing brits and australians and uh all these people from spain it was unreal and i i wouldn't trade that for anything either and it was just each sort of thing it's funny when when you're in school at least this was my experience right when you're in school you're being taught dance like a man, dance grounded, all of these, we just, you're hearing all of these tropes, you're hearing all mm -hmm. of these things rooted in stigma and fear and sort of the prescribed way that an outsider or that a professor or that someone that has seen commercially the way that like success, I say in air quotes, in big air quotes, success has looked for others in the past. And you know, you're constantly being asked like, what three people, like how many times was I asked in a, in a college setting, what three people's career like path do you want to emulate? And it's so interesting because it's like the most successful people are the people that don't buy into that BS. Yep. And when you're trying to find your truth and your existence and your, your, for lack of a better term, track in this industry from someone else's story and truth, you're going to come up short every time and be disappointed in yourself every time, right? Yeah. And that's just like that, that, that journey is riddled with sh so much shame. And that was for me too. So it's so, it was so enlightening because I didn't, I didn't know I was on until I look back at it now, I didn't realize I was on this journey. I was just happy to be employed. I was just happy to be in these rooms with incredible creative teams and unbelievably talented Tony winners and Broadway performers. And I just, I was just like having this very yep. green, very new to the industry pinch me moment at every time I was in these rooms as a non-union actor, like just so excited to be taking up space with them, um, trying to not take any of it for granted, but just not realizing the impact that these moments and this, this timing in my life was having on my psyche, on my spirit, on my on my own, like I said before, on my own internalized homophobia, on my own acceptance of my own queerness. 
-hmm. And it wasn't until I, I finished that on the cruise ship. I moved to Australia for a boy, which is also its own story. You can read my book about it. Um, (laughs) We'll get to that. I wanted uh, to bring that up too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then I came back, I went back on the cruise ship again to uh, cover someone for a very short, like eight week contract, which was super nice. Met a bunch of new people. Then came back to the city and worked regionally for a few summers. And then that led me to being in the right room at the right time, at the right place. Um, I had been in and out of the room for Kinky Boots for Broadway and the tour for years, for like three and a half years at that point while I was doing all this Priscilla stuff. And um, then I finally booked that, booked the closing company of the national tour of Kinky Boots. And that was what sort of solidified, solidified so many things. It was incredibly challenging schedule. It solidified... I want to take my equity card after I finish this contract because it was such a hard <laughs> schedule. It was a rite of passage in a way. We toured to mm-hmm. a place in Washington. It was a one day. We would do two shows there in Washington state that all of my family and friends, like there was like nearly a hundred people that came to these two shows that day. It was, un- it was amazing. And it was just this, it was this beautiful moment of, of being able to like step into my power and also just sort of like, take a breath, like take a breath in my own body and my own skin and feel totally seen for the first time by a lot of my extended family and my grandparents and like seeing my like grand, my late grandfather who just passed away this last year in December, seeing him like come up on stage, the stage manager let me stay in costume. So I'm like in these custom kinky boots made for me, right? And I'm like, finally the height of him, we're looking eye to eye. It's like (laughs) the sweetest picture in the world. Um, that I will never forget that moment, but it's just, it's little things like that where like when you're in the middle of the, when you're in the middle of the high, it's really hard to see your heart changing because you're just trying to absorb and live through that joy, right? Yeah. But I look back and I'm so incredibly grateful for what my story is. And it's, I was saying this to someone else in an interview earlier this week, it's, it feels very weird. I have a lot of, it's, it's strange. I have a lot of imposter syndrome, which is silly. And I'm working on that for myself, but it's weird to like, say like my career, because, you know, like in our business, we, we revere people that have had like what I would call a career of like these like storied, all these credits and stuff. But it's like, that is so much of the, the, my own personal journey that I'm also on right now, which is stepping into my power and stepping into owning what I have done and what I've created and what I've given to others. And that is, that is easier said than done. You know, some, some days I am my own, I'm biggest cheerleader. And then other days more often than not on my own worst enemy. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that is sort of the, that is sort of the journey to, to that. And then I did uh kinky boots again at a gauntlet again, went back up to Maine and then took my equity card from that contract. Uh, and that was in just uh, November of 2019. And then that was the last time I was on stage. You touched on so many things that I just absolutely love. And I was kind of getting a little emotional over here, hearing you talk about your touring experience, because you had your Shoshana Bean moment, walking out and being able to have like that. I did. Like that whole tour thing. And and I don't know, hearing it just so um, chronologically like that, it just kind of made me a little emotional thinking about that and that that's such a special thing another thing that I wanted to get into with you that you touched on briefly is your book which I'll hold up the copy that you gave me (laughs) I I just want to say your writing is superb the biggest thing that I love about your writing is your love for words I am on this recent journey 
with myself of how much I love just the human language and words and how words yeah. have, we, we talked about this literally when we first met about our love of Brene Brown. One of my favorite examples that I'll share really quickly is it's in her Atlas of the Heart book in the special uh, on HBO. She talks about how language affects our body more than we realize. Like the example that she gave that has stuck with me is the difference between overwhelm and stress and how stressed is... Yeah which especially I think people in our industry should maybe hear this because this really does affect our bodies. Um, yeah. it, stress is manageable. So let's say that we have a big to-do list that we have to conquer. We can feel stressed about that to-do list, but we can arrange it and do whatever we have to do to make it manageable for us to accomplish. Overwhelm is the point where you have to take a step back, throw your hands up and say, I'm spent. I need to step away from this. And I think so often we take that language for granted and replace the two in different situations where, if, you know, if something is manageable, yeah. we say, I'm overwhelmed. Our bodies don't know the difference. So your body's going to say, oh, you're overwhelmed. Great. We can't shut off. Let's take a step back. And right. it's hearing that from her. I think deep down, I knew that to an extent, but not to the point of hearing her break it down. And so that kind of unlocked my my love for language and words. And then to then jump into what you're creating and have very, very similarly echoed in just how much language can describe seasons of our life, chapters of our life, um, moments in our lives that we say that we're at a loss for words about, but yet somehow we can always find words to, yeah. you know, describe it. Um, all that to say, it's just beautiful. And I'm so excited to talk about it more with you over coffee or whatever once I'm finished Thank because you. goodness, goodness, it's just so, so good. I guess to segue that into the next thing, how has been writing that? I know that you've been working on it for, for quite some time and we've talked about that in private, but like how, how is, how are you getting to the point with the book where you're, you know, you're ready to share it with the world now that you've kind of settled with it with yourself? That is like the question of all questions, right? Because I have been, I started writing it as journals. Uh, never, I never, I never sat down and said, I'm going to write a book. I, I started writing it as journals. I shared these journals with, with my best friend, Mimi Scardulish. Mimi always shows up in my, in podcast interviews. It's very funny. Uh, <laughs> she has been my, my New York cheerleader for the entire time of my being here. So I always bring her up. Uh, and I shared it with her one night while I was sitting over, over at her apartment and she was the one who originally kind of inspired and like showed me the parallel between um, that I was sort of equating the loss of uh, basically for anybody listening because the, the book is going to come out next year on my 30th birthday and I'm very excited um, and it's probably the first time I'm telling people that. Surprise! So you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The book basically parallels a year and a half in my life where uh, people in my extended or immediate family circle passed away very unexpectedly for a solid year and a half, um, seven different deaths, and how on the other side of all of that death, I looked back and realized that I was in a different relationship with a different man for every single person's passing. <laughs> and then the, the following days and months after them, uh, their passing. So this book sort of was originally my way of like writing my that has that is how writing came into my life writing my way I would say writing my way into healing mm. and 
then the more that it grew and the more that I shared it with like very, very, very close friends, a few people like counting them on one hand, the more people were like, this should be something like, this is really special. This people are going to connect with this. This should be something. And um, it's so funny. I always think of this because I remember at the, <laughs> at the time, Ariana Grande's song, Thank You Next had just come <laughs> out. And that song is like, that song gave me like the idea along with Mimi being like, this is like paralleled. You should like name the men something that they inspired you with, like mm -hmm. with this specific chapter I shared with her. So if you think about that song, um, she's listing all of the things she learned from these men um, and, and trying to like reframe it in a positive way, kind of in that song, but that is very much what this book is about. Yeah. And I think, I think the connotation in our society, in our culture, and often in queer culture as well, is um, that like when, like that the, the, there's supposed to be this like, when you either get burned by someone or that you have a, a relationship, whatever, whatever it might be that there's this connotation of everything is supposed to be like riddled with negativity and everything surrounding that person's story and how it lives in your body beyond mm -hmm. them being in your life anymore can often just have a very, very like visceral or unhealed um, feeling. And so much of my writing came from me wanting to tell my truth, tell my story with these interactions with each of these men, but also like give them their due, right? And, and, and figure out what it was in that season of my life that I learned from them. So that's what I do in the book is I title each man the, 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 the gift or the, the lesson that they taught me, whether that be joy or passion or confidence or connection. I do this, I did that because I, I, don't, I don't want to live with regret and I don't want to live feeling like they took something away from me because I mean, yeah. even in some of them that were very tumultuous and I'm very happy to have walked away from that person. I wish that person, I, and I wish that, that human being nothing but the best. I have come across, whether it be in person or on an email or over text or over Instagram, I have, I've interacted with all of them multiple times beyond the exchange of when it happened in real time, what I wrote about. And mm -hmm. many of them know that I'm writing this book. It's like a very interesting conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it has been it truly just my, my way of writing my way into healing. And I'm, I am so to answer your question, we'll get there. Uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I am so, I'm so excited to finally share it with people. I've been writing it for nearly six years and there's also just, I am just in a totally different space in my life now. And as a writer, I have realized there is an element, you know, people say all the time, like, don't write about it until you've healed from it. And I think that like the mm. more and more I've edited the book and have other people read it and like had my, one of my college professors read it as a beta reader during, uh, during COVID and was like, I think I want you to like now take this and like rewrite it and now like write it as if you know you're like, I think you wrote it before anticipating that your mom's going to read it. Now I need like the untailored version. And hearing that was super, a super sobering comment and feedback that I needed to hear. And yeah. it was that reality of like, I am, I wrote this book for like little me. I wrote this book for, for the young, the young person that may or may not have gone through similar experiences that I went through. And I can't, I can't write a tailored buttoned up version of of my life that isn't authentic that isn't true and also when my mom does read this book that doesn't allow her to heal because i'm not being honest with myself right yeah. so 
writing the version that you're reading now um, was a very hard, very long time coming, but that that version you're reading is is woven into it is the fabric of probably about 15 people's feedback and yeah. like honest, this is really working, this is really not. And that is like the hardest part, I think, of creativity and yet the most beautiful part, right? Collaboration is yep. like the key to success and the key 100%. to- the key to making the magic that we all love, whatever creative circle it might be in. But yeah, I'm really, really excited to, if I'm being honest, I'm very excited to let go of it, but I'm also very excited for everything, like just having the moments that I know will come of like what you just, the gift you just gave me of being able to connect to it and see yourself in it and feel feel supported by my story. So yeah. You are just somebody in the little time that I have known you are just someone who feels like you love to give back. You love to give to others. You love to do whatever you can to make it easier for somebody else, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And watching you create and cultivate this other um, business and organization that I want to talk about, Braving the Business, when you told me about it at Drama Bookshop, I was just like 100 times yes like this is such a good idea and why don't you kind of talk about that and um explain to people what braving the business is and their mission yeah so braving the business basically is very similarly to when the lights are bright again originally came out of my own fear came out of this this creation and this deep need pulling on my gut and my heartstrings said you need to create something that you wish you had when you moved to the city. And essentially the goal, so Braving the Business is starting on this online platform um, of this little thing called Instagram, if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> and uh, uh, we are doing a massive summer wellness series right now that we're really, really thrilled about that people have been getting really excited about. And uh, whenever this is coming out, this episode, and you're listening to this, please follow us at Instagram at Braving the Business. And check out the Summer Wellness Series because this is just an opportunity for community to get together. And the eventual goal and intention of this is to have an open, eventually, my goal would be in the next five years, right? Um, but this is a very hard journey because uh, Manhattan real estate is not cheap. So no. <laughs> it's about cultivating the community and the desire for this space first. But the desire to create this is that there is not... I'm waiting for someone to name a place that, that, that ticks all these boxes, but there is not a place in Manhattan for artists of all walks of life, not just performers, artists, creatives of all walks of life, every field. There's not a place for creatives to come that is not dictated by a gatekeeper, whether that be an audition, whether that be a callback, whether that be a Tony nomination, whether that be an after party, whether that be a networking event that you have to pay an exorbitant amount of money, whether that be a gala that you have to be, have this many followers on Instagram, whatever it might be, there is not a physical space for us to nurture and create community that is not inherently rooted in making money. And that is yep. not inherently rooted in a means to an end, whether that be a job, whether that be, I am going to this thing are you going to this thing to nourish your body and to have dinner tonight? Or are you going to this thing to rub shoulders with people and meet them? Now, I fully am aware that like that is a part of the business, 100%. But I believe, and which is why I want to create this, 
and why I'm so passionate about it is that I believe that all of those things in those circles where we do all of that, that often for a lot of us feels very icky. I believe all of that will become easier when we have a space where people can come after they've had a crappy audition and they can sit. And even if they don't want to talk to someone, they can be, they, they know that they are surrounded by creatives that are like-minded like them that are out here in New York, because at the end of the day, that is what everyone wants is to be seen and held and scooped up and taken care of, whether that be in conversation with someone, like what happened with you and I of just running into each other and this sparking this friendship at the drama bookshop, right? Or that it's planned, like whatever it might be. So this is a space that like the eventual dream and goal is that this is a space that is a co-working space. It's a space you can come and stretch and debrief after an audition. It's a space that you can rent out, do what we're calling like confidence warmups. That's like, you can come and like, if you live with four roommates, you know, we've all done it. We've all warmed up when the subway has come. And like, that we, that's the first time we've sung the high note and we're never going to sing it again until we're in the room at nine in the morning in front of 15 people behind the panel. Like that is daunting. And like, when you were brand new to this industry, that is like, think about the version of all of us as artists and how much better we can perform and how much more we can show up for ourselves first and each other and the audition room when we feel in alignment, when we feel like we're taken care of. What what a gift to be able to be connecting with a brand new person in a holding room and then both of you getting cut from that dance call, right? And then one person's like, hey, have you ever been to Braving the Business? And someone's like, what is that? And you're like, oh, like I go here after auditions to like work until I go to my my evening job. And like, it's just like, a community space for artists in the city. And there's just, you know, everyone doesn't have roommates that are artists and everyone, but also sometimes people do and they don't want to be with them. Everyone's story is so different, right? Yeah. But to be able to have a space where there's a quiet room and a library and a coffee shop and maybe a bookstore and just like the sky is the limit with this space, but like that is the dream, right? That's the goal to have this, to have a venue and an, and an opportunity uh, venue also feels like an icky word because I don't, I just want it to be, it's a wellness center. It's a space where someone can come when they come out of college and they have no idea where they should live and someone can help them with like housing or finding a good day job that it gives them flexibility. Like all this stuff that we all ask for help from like posting an Instagram story. Let's have <laughs> infrastructure and a physical space that helps people do this, right? I'm just, I'm super energized by seeing how, you know, like we all went through this communal grief and this shared experience, but this nuanced, very different inside of each of our bodies, shared experience in our industry, in our country, globally, of having everything shut down. And I think everyone is in this sort of intersection right now of like, I know mm -hmm. I am, of it has to be better than this. You know, like we're recording this today on this like first day of the, of the strike of SAG joining, um, the writers and yeah. on the picket lines. And it's just, we're at this very interesting, important tipping point. And what I was reading this morning, like the first time in 63 years that they've both been on strike together. Yeah. And I think, I think we're going to see a lot of change come from this. And I think this is a really important moment for everybody to lean in and to listen and to not, to not disengage. This is the moment to support each other even more. This is the moment to ask questions. This is the moment to humble yourself and realize that like at the end of the day, what's happening right now is people are no longer afraid to say, I know 
I am and we are worth more than than this treatment. And yeah. that is a very important touchstone that has been ignored for a very long time. And like, this is, I hope, my biggest hope from this moment is that like specifically our union and our people and people in New York and, and Actors' Equity and our community takes takes a page from this book and this bravery yep. that is happening right now. And we realize that we are just as capable of standing together and doing something like that and to Absolutely. show up for them and to also listen and learn from this moment. I feel like now more than ever, I am, I mean, I've always been proud to call myself an artist, but these are times where I am prouder to call myself an artist because of the community right. and being able to stand together. And like you said, say, this is we know what we are worth like and stand up right. for that it's just such a inspiring thing and yes if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about please go look it up and and learn but if you have look up and see <laughs> ways that you can you know help and find pickets near you because i know that they posted some during the city um that i shared on my instagram but it shows the different places in new york where you can go and uh, picket and everything with everybody in here in the city so as we kind of go to wrap up this episode there's been so many good nuggets i kind of want to leave everybody with with one good last piece of advice or something that you have received. Has there been um, advice that you've been uh, told that has really changed the way you think about things or a piece of advice that you'd like to give everybody else? Uh, I mean, the, I'm gonna just sort of say the first thing that came to mind and that is, this has sort of become, and I stole this from one of my best friends, this has sort of become my mantra for this year, and that is protect your peace. Mm. And number one, that is going to look different for every person. So don't model protecting your peace off of someone else's story. Yep. Number two, protecting your peace is going to look different day to day. But I, I just think that that has been something that has really resonated with me recently because I am, I am an empath. I am someone that uh, is notorious for taking on the feelings of other people's energy and, and stories around me to distract myself from my own, to distract myself from baggage and trauma and things that I need to work on more, things that I need to heal within myself. And I think, I think it means so many things. Protecting your peace means surrounding yourself with loved ones and a partner and friends that are willing to show up for you and are willing to stand in the void and are willing to, to give you tough love. It's going to teach me something bigger about who I am, the journey that I'm on. And I also think like the world would be such a better place if we all realized that we're all doing this thing called life together, not alone inside of our own head working towards like the goal like no human being is going to be successful at anything they want or need without asking for help full stop ever like yeah. there is no there is no person that is amazing and great at everything and there's no like you have to collaborate you collaborate when you walk out of your house every morning like just just like think about it like that and like realize that like everything energetically is something like when you scan your phone on the subway to get on the subway, the subway doors opened, like you just collaborated with six people and you didn't even realize it. Someone made your phone, someone made that turnstile. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, but we don't, we stay in our lane and we have our tunnel vision and we, we, everything is very selfish. And if we open our minds up to energetically that every single 
choice we make on a daily basis is us engaging with someone, whether that person's in front of us or not, everything we do, we're engaging with other people. Uh, so many good things in this episode. I, Andrew, just cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking with me. And um, thank you for inspiring me. And then I know all the people that you're going to inspire that are going to listen to this because um, just so many good things to take away and, and to implement. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, and just like that, we are at the end of the episode. I hope you all, <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed it and make sure you go follow Andrew on social media. I will link uh, his social media and Braving the Businesses in show notes below. So make sure you go check those out. And if you don't follow the Bradshaw Effect podcast already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts, make sure you go do so. That way you don't miss an episode and leave us a review while you're at it because I would like to get those up. <laughs> I hope you all enjoy this episode and I hope you have a great morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this and I'll talk to you all later. Bye.